arguably Canopy didn't even win practice management yet. They were reinventing practice management software, but they didn't win it yet. They were just turning the corner. A lot of hype, and then they just took on too much. Probably the development of this new product was probably making their existing product suffer, and it was probably a tough decision to kill this product to save the other one. Welcome to the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Blake, we're, we're, we're back to our rhythm again, which I kind of like. I do. I love it. I was on Twitter today, and I was so excited to see Brad Selmanis got his Cloud Accounting Podcast swag. Did you see that? He bought two shirts because <laughs> he couldn't decide which shirt he wanted. I know. David, we're going to be able to go out for like a nice meal pretty soon with the profits from our store that you set up. Yeah, one of us can, one of us can afford to eat, and the other one can watch. That, that, that is the, <laughs> the profit take on, on our, our our merch store here. Yeah, it, but you know, we don't do it for the money; we do it for the love. Yeah, if, if it was just the margins we wanted, we'd just sell stickers. What I love is that you know Brad's up in Canada, uh, Calgary, and there's you know snow on the ground. And he's outside <laughs> with his t-shirt on. <laughs> Guns yeah. are out like nothing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Just t-shirt, snow on the ground. It must still be you know fall for him. So, uh, thanks, Brad. That was awesome. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for the pictures. And if you want to see them as a listener, just go into the show notes and they'll be right there at the top. So, I, had, I was on Twitter this week. Um, earlier in the week, I, so my daughter started doing a refereeing of soccer games, right? She okay. got her first check. You can't catch a check. It's very, very hard in this day and age to catch a check. But no, it's even harder. It's harder for a kid to open a bank account to, so you can get an app to catch it. So, I try to use all these new banks. Like Simple Bank, Ally Bank. Um, I did, we didn't use Chime. We tried Acorns. We tried Stash. None of them let a kid open a bank account. <laughs> so I'm like, I, I, so all these. So it's, it's almost right back to where like, like none of these new these new tech companies that we talked about last week yeah. new, that, that want to be banks. None of them are actually offering any new services. <laughs> like like it's the same scenario as a regular old bank. It, it's it's a little insane. So yeah, that that was I went off on Twitter on that a little bit and. Uh, well, you're gonna have to go walk into a branch and you know sh- show them your ID. That's the word. The word in the street is credit unions are probably the, the way to go is to, to stop in a credit union and do that. So that's on the list. And then the other thing I tweeted yesterday, I discovered, well, I read, actually, it's a lesson. You know, when, when you get the new Windows updates or you get updates for anything, go read the, the notes, go read the release notes. So I was like, oh, Windows 10 now, you can do the Windows key and the period on your keyboard no matter where you're at in Windows and you can type emojis. Yeah. I've known this in Mac for a long time. Like I did not know that. Well, what happened is people iterated on that, and uh, I think it's Chris Meske. I think it was him on Twitter. He discovered you can put them right into QBO and on the chart of accounts. If there's an account he doesn't want people to use, like the Ask Accountant account, he put a poop emoji in there. And so people are going to be able to use the, the, the emojis to really signal to their clients what accounts to use and not use. And they carry all the way through all the reports and all the way down through the reconciliation screen and the bank feeds. Oh, wow. So that's enough of the Twitter news. Um, Just wait until you see that in an SEC filing. Yeah, I think yeah, that was one of the tweets as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. What else is new? Do we have any reviews this week? We, got, we have two reviews. Both of them are very, very um, humbling. I don't even know if they're humbling. It's just a, you know, we've talked about it before. Like I'm sitting in the closet, you're sitting there at the desk and we're talking. You don't know if people are really listening or if you're impacting the world. Mm-hmm. Coincidentally, they're both from Canada. So a lot of Canada love this week from, from the North for us. You want to read one and then I'll read one? Sure. Essential content in a quick and informative format. Five stars. I started a new venture in the spring, and the prospect of learning about the different technologies available seemed daunting. I was too busy working with clients to do the heavy research and product testing I knew I needed to do. Listening to the back catalog of the Cloud Accounting Podcast gave me the information I needed to pick, test, implement a tech stack, and talk somewhat knowledgeably about the changing realities of fintech as it impacts my clients and their accountants. Thanks for the great work. Sean Birdsell, founder, Birdsell Consulting in Victoria, BC, Canada. Thanks, Sean. Five stars, great guest and informative content. Felt stuck in a real rut in my CPA slash technology career and started listening to this podcast to broaden my perspectives. David and Blake have provided a refreshing window of insight into the cloud accounting world and helped reignite my desire to work with small businesses and startups. I look forward to each podcast here, curated snippets of cloud accounting news, as well as the very perspectives of David Blake and their guests as they explore changes in the not-so-boring world of CPAs. Though the content has an American bias, Canadian CPAs like myself can derive great benefit by considering what effect the topics and the news stories could have on the Canadian opportunities, client solutions, and our regulatory environment. This is from Sharon Hine via Apple Podcasts in Canada. 
And we open the show with Canadian Twitter. It's a theme we got going here. And we have a Canadian episode um, of an interview we did at QuickBooks Connect. I almost forgot something. Yeah, we've got that. People have to listen to that. But, or well, when it comes out. But did you see Michael Sovereign's tweet? He- Oh, yeah. Apparently, he tweeted about the Cloud Accounting Podcast, and he used the hashtag CPA Alberta, which I guess is the hashtag for the CPA magazine in Alberta. And they- put the tweet, I guess they, they do this thing where they take the tweets and they publish some of them. And so they published this tweet about the episode with Megan Lefchik and Ryan Lozanis that we did on the relevance of the CPA designation. So they published that tweet. So he took a picture of the tweet in the magazine and he tweeted that to us. <laughs> so, so, so now meta. it has come full circle, right? The tweet has, has come home. And so now what we need to do, he, he we need to get CPA Alberta to run the tweet of his tweet. The photograph of the tweet in the magazine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they need to put that. So then we then we get then we get like inception level uh, <laughs> tweet magazine, inception level Twitter there. Oh my goodness. Thanks, Michael Sovereign. You can follow him. He's at sovereign underscore cloud. And that's it. There's no more Canadian stuff the rest of the show. <laughs> but we have we have news. We we there's news that has occurred. Well, I no, I do have I do have a Canadian app story to start oh, kick things off. Yeah. Why I don't mean, we just do that one? No, jump right in. So so FreshBooks opened up their first international office in Amsterdam, and they opened up their second international office in Raleigh, North Carolina. And they've never had a US office before. No, they've always operated from what, Toronto? They're in Toronto, yeah. Yeah. I have a couple of quick updates on previous stories. We got to talk My Payroll HR. Yes, yes, that's where I was going next. So, My Payroll HR, apparently the Pioneer Bank and Michael Mann have agreed to a settlement. The agreement's called a consent judgment. And essentially, it's crafted when somebody is unable to pay a debt. So, it was signed by Mann and Pioneer's attorney. It doesn't really mean he's going to pay them anything. I think maybe it's one of those things like Pioneer needs done so they can move on to their insurance claim or something. Yeah, I guess he's just he's admitting that he's not going to fight them on this. The bank reported the outstanding balance on the loan to be $35.8 million as of October 15th, and the interest accruing was at a daily rate of more than $8,500. Jeez, that's a lot. We were talking about Rich Priest. Uh, who left into it? I don't know, maybe four weeks ago, possibly, it seems mm-hmm. like, um, a couple episodes ago. So, Rich Peace is now joining LegalZoom. He is going to be the new chief product officer. Oh, that's a big promotion there. So, he was previously running QuickBooks Live at Intuit. That's correct. Now, chief product officer at LegalZoom. Yeah. And he's joining um, Dan Winnikoff, who was former QuickBooks leader at Intuit. He's joining him at LegalZoom. Well, you know, we had speculated amongst each other that maybe he was going to go to Bill.com, which I was thinking was very likely given that Bill.com just filed to go public. They're going to do an IPO. That was the hint, right? Like, Because yeah. I think when Rich Priest, the, the coverage of Rich Priest, the only news it said is he's going to a company that is pre-IPO for the first <laughs> time in his career. I was like, well, who's going pre-IPO? Oh, it's probably Bill.com. So. Yeah. So, this happened late on Friday. So, we missed it in our last episode. They filed on November 15th, which was Friday of last week, for a 100 million IPO, according to a filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission. What's interesting about that is they already have raised $347 million over their lifetime, and they have a lot of cash in the bank. So they don't need the money from the IPO. I think this is just a way to uh, open up uh, access for the current shareholders to the public market so they can exchange their share, sell. Because Bill.com has been around for a long time. They uh, started in 2006. They were one of the original or very early cloud apps that everybody started using. I remember, I think they were like the second uh, app I started using outside of QuickBooks Online. Yeah, I think they were one of the first three we launched. I I helped launched on um, apps.com originally. Yeah. Yeah, so some interesting stuff in the S1. You know, a lot of these companies that go public, they do so with a direct model going straight to small businesses. And we actually heard that from Rob Reed, although Sage Intact didn't go public, they got acquired. Uh, Rob Reed, in the interview we did at Intact Advantage with him, he's the former CEO of Intact, he said that the, he hinted at the, the growth of Intact was 
really because they started uh, going to a direct model. They started with accounting firms and then they went direct and that's when the growth really took off. He said something to that effect. So what's interesting about Bill.com's filing is just how much of their revenue is still from accounting firms. They have over 4,000 accounting firm partners and it accounts for 54% of their total customers and 45% of their revenue. So that's significant. Accounting firms really helped build half of bill.com. A lot of the times it made, it was the de facto choice, right? If you didn't want to write checks on your client's behalf, right? Maybe you're, man- maybe you're managing the entire operation, but you needed approval on the checks you did write. Bill.com was the first real solution for that. So you could get multiple owners or multiple um, executives at a company to, to approve a payment before it got made. And so the, any of the accounts were involved, it was, they had to use it because there was no other process. It's oh, and a, Matthew May at Acuity, he was quoted uh, oh, uh, in the press celebrity. Yeah, about the impact made on their business. So he's all over the place. Uh, another kind of follow-up one um, about why big tech companies uh, want to become banks but can't. And actually, I think you found this article earlier in the week and tweeted it out. So um, just a couple of takeaways in this article. Where one was about where, where, where um, is Walmart. This? What, are we, what are we talking about? Oh, the uh, why big tech companies want to become banks but can't. Oh, yeah. Where was that? What uh, publication? Uh, it was on Fortune. Okay. And you uh, tweeted this out. Uh, I think this 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 came out a day after our last episode. Our oh, last got it. Episode. Got it. Yeah. And I think the big takeaway in this article, two takeaways was one um, – the, one of the biggest banks that never existed. Like So this dance has been already happened. It was Walmart. More than a decade ago, they spent 10 years trying to get a banking charter. And they just got blocked on every front and they never, never become a bank. And they finally just gave up the fight in 2007. So at some level, like this dance has been done of these big, huge, gigantic companies trying to become banks. And they've not had a lot of success, right? And then with the regulations, like that, that's a problem. But the the under this article, what a really good quote that I kind of liked, and I thought it actually makes sense for our industry a little bit, right? Or a lot of the accountants that are going through change. The future of the financial system is going to be a mix of banks and non-banks. And the winners are going to be the ones that are rapidly moving to transform themselves. And I, I kind of feel like that's the what is happening in our industry with accounts and bookkeepers, right? The ones that are gonna win are the ones that keep adapting and transforming. And so that's really what's going to happen between the, the old established banks and all the new apps. They, they're going to partner, they're going to work together, and they're just going to keep iterating and experimenting until they figure this out. But it's going to be really hard because the pushback's just been there forever. Yeah. Well, you know, it takes a long time to change something that's so enmeshed in regulation as banking. And we haven't been doing it for that long, honestly. What, a decade? So give it one more and somebody will find a crack in that regime and and they'll break it open. I mean, that's what people are trying to do with this, uh, what FinTech kind of bank charter that was like a different kind of charter, a national charter. So you didn't have to get all the states. Like somebody, yep. somebody will figure out how to do that. They'll get the political support to do it. And then the traditional banks are done. Like it's, it's going to be over, but it'll just take a little while. And Walmart was just a little too early. So... Some other app news, Sage released their full year 2019 results. I saw this came out and I peeked at them, but I yeah. can't tell you any of the numbers. Well, Sage is such a big global company that it's kind of hard to get any insight into the, specifically the North American market because we're only 35% of their revenue in the USA and Canada. Okay. The you know Northern Europe is 20%, uh, Central and Southern Europe, 33%, South of Africa and Australia, 11%. And... What stuck out to me in the investor fact sheet is the change in the revenue categories. So the big change from fiscal year 18 to 19 is that their software subscription revenue grew 29%, which is really good, right? That's like similar to zero's growth rate. I think was zero was like 30, maybe 32%, something like that. Intuit has been putting up similar numbers in their results, like 30 to 40% is good, right? Well, Sage had that for their software subscription revenue, but they lost in a category called other recurring revenue. That declined 12%. So their their net recurring revenue increase was like 11%. And I think the other recurring revenue is probably, I haven't dug into it, probably maintenance and support, the on-prem type folks. So they're, they're converting their existing on-premises ERP customers to cloud, like Sage Intact, for example, but they're losing that support revenue, but getting software subscription revenue. So 
that's why their results are actually not that amazing overall. They they only increased a revenue f- 5.6%. You know, that's like a mediocre accounting firm growth rate. Nothing particularly but, amazing. But in the long term, right? If, if yeah. uh, the SaaS model is going to make them more money than when you when you're support renewals. Right, in the long run. So yeah. it's like it's not bad. It's just not like amazing and it seems to me that like if they really want to grow big numbers. If they want to put up big top line revenue numbers, they have to go get new customers. They can't be just converting their existing base of customers. They've got to go get new non-Sage customers to use Sage or use Sage Intact in particular. Overall, like certainly better than the situation when they were in last year when they had all that crazy uh, uh, turnover at the top. I think it was Stephen Kelly was forced out. Did anything else in the, that their earnings that uh, struck you? Last thing is their guidance for... Uh, fiscal year tw- uh, 2020, they're aiming for recurring revenue growth of eight to nine percent, uh, and or organic operating margin of 23 percent. The Intuit earnings came out as well this week, actually earlier today. The first thing I noticed at all of all the announcements is I didn't see numbers for QuickBooks Online. Usually we get to see the numbers every single. How quarter, many new subscribers? Right? How many new subscribers? Right. I don't think they and, they don't really release revenue growth, but they do always pump the subscriber number. If it's good. Yeah. Yeah. Which has been, you know, I think 300,000 a, qu- a quarter almost for eight, maybe 12 quarters straight. Right. It's been growing insane numbers. And so I wonder if that number is down a little bit and they're purposely left out. Yep. But, um, you know, they, they, they're really talking more about their entire ecosystem revenue now. Right. And, and that's basically everything that has to do with QuickBooks. Mm. So it'd be payroll, probably the QuickBooks capital, et cetera. Um, that grew 35%. And their the the target was only thirty percent, so they 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 beat the street on that. And then you know they had some other announcements in there. The one that really stuck out was they grew the UK subscribers, and they now hold the number one position for cloud accounting subscribers in the country. In the UK, so they did beat zero in the UK. They did because we were talking about how they might have, but we didn't have the the numbers lined well, we up. We still right? don't have the numbers. <laughs> we just have a sentence. We still don't oh, have. But the Intuit numbers, is but... claiming it now. Yes, Intuit's claiming it now. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so and then. QBO ahead of zero in the UK. Yeah, which explains why their international online revenues over, grew over 60%. Looked at their transcript. Now, the transcript, I didn't see the Q&A transcript, part of the transcript, um, but I did uh, look at the rest of it. So they have about f- uh, five big bets going forward and really just calling out two of them. So their second big bet is to connect people to experts, right? And they talk about a little about the QuickBooks Live launch and how it's opening up access to a $10 billion market opportunity. $10 billion. $10 billion. So so now now Intuit's but a what an Intuit's eight not billion even, dollar company? <laughs> yeah, they're not even a ten billion dollar company. <laughs> and so it's very obvious why QuickBooks Live's happening. If if there's a ten billion dollar market opportunity there, of course they're gonna chase it. Yep. Um and it's it's very, very big. And then it gets in a little bit of details about QuickBooks Live. Um they said over the last six months they've run up to fifty tests to learn what customers really need. Um they've refined the go to market and pricing strategies, and they uh Keep building out the expert pipeline. So as of uh, 90% of TripleTax Live experts expressed interest in working in QuickBooks Live. So they're building out the the staffing for that. Hmm. Um, and then they also talk about how they've uh, keep improving TurboTax Live. And um, they've been making the experts even more accessible at different points inside the product. And they've uh, seen a 32-point conversion or increase um, for first-time filers. So TurboTax Live is helping almost a third of TurboTax Live customers are converting because of TurboTax Live to a paid customer. And that makes sense, right? Because talking to somebody who knows what they're doing is like gives you that comfort that you're going to get your taxes filed correctly and they're going to keep going with TurboTax rather than bailing on it and going to somebody down the block. And then the other thing they talked about their fifth big bet um, was to disrupt in mid-market with QuickBooks Online Advanced. And we talked about uh, the Chronos, ChronoBooks acquisition last week. And that they're, they're obviously trying to go to that and uh, they want to um, really create like a dashboard that catches all revenue streams um, across all their products, all their services, really to understand the entire business pro- performance, which is a little bit different than you You may not need that in a smaller business, right? Mm-hmm. Seeing that across every product, every project, every customer. So they're working on some of that. So yeah, so the, the numbers came out. It would have been great to get real QuickBooks numbers, but there's nothing this time, unfortunately. So speaking of tax... Did you see that Bench is now partnering with TaxFile? They got together and they're offering Bench Tax. They just stuck them together, Bench Tax. It, 
makes sense, right? I mean, that's essentially what H&R Block's going to do with their purchase of Wave. I predict one day TurboTax and Live and QuickBooks Live will have a baby where you get tax <laughs> and right ta- books and sense. tax all at the same time. We asked that of Ted Callahan when we interviewed him about QuickBooks Live at QuickBooks Connect, but apparently that's not yet on the roadmap. I understand they have a lot to do. So this is the future. Uh, for those who don't know Bench, you should, if you're especially if you're in the bookkeeping space, because they are outsourced bookkeeping through their own proprietary general ledger. A receipt scanning uh, application, reporting application. And now they've partnered with TaxFile, which is a similar online app-based tax company to do the whole soup to nuts. We'll do your books and we'll do your taxes. And I guess they've got you know everything set up to securely share the information. You get the info to them and uh, they'll do your taxes. I don't see the pricing. Oh, yes, I do. Pricing designed to fit your needs. I'm looking at the website right now. So apparently it's monthly. I like that idea of charging for taxes monthly rather than all at once because it makes it a lot more sticky, right? If you've paid for six months of taxes and you haven't yet filed, you'll probably stick around for the next few months until you get your return done. So a sole prop filing for personal returns and Schedule C starts at $50 a month. A business filing starts at $75 per month. That's for partnerships, S-Corps, and C-Corps. And then business and personal filing combined starts at $110 per month. Got it. And it, it makes sense, right? Like if you're, um, if, if you're paying for tax monthly and it's tied to your books, like it's easier to scale tax that way, right? Because then you're like, because if, you if your tax is depending on the quality of the books and that you're, you're, you're controlling both parts of that equation, it's just going to make tax season easier. And they're paying for the books monthly because Bench is a monthly subscription. So it just rolls into that monthly fee. And it makes sense for Bench and TaxFile because their labor costs are fixed usually. If, they're, if they have employees, they're paying them salaries. Right? I've always wondered this about accounting firms. Why do you charge for taxes at the end of a process where you have these people on your salary uh, or on your payroll for like the whole year? <laughs> <laughs> You're paying for them every month, right? You have options too. So I know a former sponsor of ours, um, Halon Tax, is kind of basically offering this for bookkeepers, right? If you currently are a bookkeeper and you don't do tax at all, you could partner with an app oh, like yeah, Halon yeah. Tax mm-hmm. and they'll do the taxes for you. So you can you can offer this same offering. And you don't right? have to go work for Bench. Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you, so you, so you can compete with this, right? Uh, with, your, with your own clients yeah. if you're a you're at that choosing to do that. So we got some fundraising that happened. Bluevine raised $102.5 million for banking services that target small business. You're familiar with Bluevine, David, as the banking and lending guy on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I, I, they had the best chapstick ever at any conferences. <laughs> really? I'll have to get some next time. Yes. They didn't have any at Cooper's Connect. I was very disappointed this time. You know, they started as a lending service. You connect your Blue Vine to your QuickBooks and you get a loan, right? That's how it worked. They look at the data. Yeah, you get a loan against your open invoices. Yeah. yeah. So, they can, so, so now they're going to expand more into the banking side of things. So uh, that's what this series round of equity funding uh, is going to be for. So the move that they're doing is called Bluevine Business Banking, which includes checking accounts and other services alongside financing. So the idea is target newer, still growing and expanding businesses. The checking account was announced in October of this year. And the idea is to give them a one-stop shop for all of their financial services. And I assume they've got to be doing this with a partner bank. I remember decades ago, 15, 20 years ago, people talking about Intuit just become a bank, a small business bank, right? So this this talk and has been there in the industry for a long time. Uh, everybody wants to be a bank. We could have the bank of podcasting. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by OnPay. Many times when choosing a payroll service, you have to choose between a new startup with a great app or an established company whose tech may feel a little behind the times. With OnPay, you get the best of both worlds. A great app from an established company that's providing payroll for over 30 years in all 50 states. OnPay is an easy-to-use, full-service payroll with simple, straightforward pricing, and it includes all their features. Employee self-onboarding, HR tools, health insurance, workers' comp tracking, and 401k. And with an accountant's dashboard and partner program, combined with best-in-class integrations with Zero and QuickBooks, OnPay is the right fit for all your clients, whether they have just one or 500 employees. 
They also handle all the complicated stuff that other payroll providers don't, like agricultural payrolls, including Form 943, multi-state payrolls, and employees with H-2A visas. I'm really excited to tell you that OnPay is offering an exclusive promo code only for the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast to get three free months of OnPay payroll service for any of your clients that you set up by February of 2020. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash onpay. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-N-P-A-Y. And use code CAP3FREE when you sign up your clients. That is CAP, the number three, F-R-E-E. And to be clear, you cannot get this promo anywhere else. It's only available to the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Well, you know who doesn't want to be a bank, at least not yet, is Lease Query. They raised a Series A from Goldman Sachs to grow their lease accounting software startup. This is Lease Query's first formal investment, and they've been bootstrapped since 2011. They're based out of Atlanta. They've got a 53,000 square foot office in Atlanta to fill out, so they'll put that money to good use hiring new employees. They said that in 2018, they had 708% year-over-year revenue growth, and they've grown from 500 clients in 2018 to 1,000 today. That's because all those new lease uh, all the new lease standards, right? That's driving this growth. And apparently, only five percent of private companies have completed their lease accounting transitions, so they've got a lot of room to grow as these companies start to finally do the lease accounting change they're going to need some app to manage it because it's just too complex to do in spreadsheets. Um, I have some news about PayPal. Let's hear it. So PayPal is to acquire online coupon site Honey. It's called for $4 billion. $4 billion? So $4 billion. So this is PayPal's largest acquisition. It's massive. Ever done. So if you don't know anything about Honey. Yeah, um, now I feel dumb. It basically... It's an app you can put on your phone, you plug it, has web browser extensions, et cetera. And of 17 million people use it. And so when you go to like an on-time online shopping cart somewhere, it sticks a discount if there's one available in your shopping oh, cart. You know what? I have heard of this, but I'm afraid to use it because I don't want it tracking everything that I'm looking at on the internet. So. So that's where exactly, right? So they basically, with the browser extension, they track everything you do. So they know exactly what to target you and how much of a coupon to give you to get you to buy something, right? <laughs> and so they just have this amazing amount of data, right? Okay. And it, it's, uh, you know, PayPal typically uses data like that for fraud prevention. But now there's a kind of a, a new possible privacy issues, right? Yeah. Um, it's with the combined company. So it's kind of interesting. But this, my, my brain was thinking about the plugin, right? When I read this article, if you're an accountant or bookkeeper, I think you've said you use plugins for Google Chrome. Yeah, yeah. So my thing is, if you're using plugins, plugins essentially have the access to not only the URL in the browser, but the actual data that's displayed on the page well, of every page you serve. It depends on what permissions they ask for and that you grant them. But but most people just click OK and they don't really look. And I'm always very skeptical of a plugin that wants access to everything that I'm looking at. Yeah. And so so my thing is, I started thinking is like, for accounts and bookkeepers with plugins, like, is this like a, a real concern? Like... Are you exposing potentially exposing your client's data? Oh, yeah, unknowingly. Absolutely. If you if you have browser. Oh plugins. yeah. If, and if you have a malicious browser plugin, and you're in a, you're a bookkeeper, and you're you know going in QBO or Zero all day long, uh, looking at stuff going into bank accounts, and you've got a malicious plugin in your browser, that could be scraping everything you're doing and sending it back to some hacker. Absolutely, it's a huge security risk. So everybody, install those browser plugins. <laughs> Don't use. Like have a separate profile on your computer for one for personal, one for honey, and one for client work <laughs> yeah, well, where you don't have any plugins because it's just too risky. Yeah. Tipalti is partnering with AR automation firm Yepay. I'm wondering if this is going to be more of a trend because previously you go to conferences and you go places, the AP guys would be over here, the AR guys are over here. And it's very clear of like who does what, mm -hmm. right? You know, I'm, I'm using the AP to pay all my bills. I'm using the AR to usually uh, do some sort of chasing or collections activities with my clients. And I always wondered why they didn't do both because it's just two sides of the same coin. <laughs> and like it's, it's like the same concept. One is you're pushing money. One is you're pulling money. Why is why why do we need two different apps? And I always wondered why Bill.com didn't put more into their accounts receivable function, which they have. A lot of people don't even know that. Like you can get yeah. you can, anyway, go ahead. 
Well, I think I think there's a there there's some expertise in collections that are way a different skill set. Like I think if you try to focus on both at the same time, you'd probably not do either well. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of what happened. So you're probably going to start seeing companies merge together that do this beyond a partnership, right? The, the well, yeah, what's the detail? What's the deal with the actual uh, partnership? Um, I think they're just collaborating. I didn't really say like, there's not really, I don't think there's going to be any um, API level. It's really just, um, they're going to start working together. Oh, they'll just like sell each other, just like promote each other to, to the mutual client. Yeah. I think it's starting out with that. Yeah. yeah. They're like trying to, um, you know, help and our enterprises might be using the uh, AP side and they're being educated. Like, Hey, you can also use technology mm-hmm. to solve your AR side. Um, the, the interesting thing for me is like my two cents is like, Yay like they should have paired up with, Waypay, so yay, <laughs> Y-A-Y pay should have paired up with Waypay, W-A-Y pay. Yay, Waypay. Um, yeah, yeah, they can they merge and they can be Yay, Waypay. <laughs> yay, Waypay. So that was kind of observation on that. I like that. Um, and another like eye roller story that was app related. Well, let's hear it. Um, this is picked up by payments, P-Y-M-N-T-S dot com, mm-hmm. which I think is a lot of articles written by bots. You know, so we plow through a lot of these and sometimes you c- the article will be written in You'll be able to find a link to the real article that you want to read and you, and you drill down. And that's how I get a lot of articles for the show. But they had one just rolling my eyes this week. So a timesheet app on the clock announced that they basically now have an API and they can send time data to accounting and payroll systems. Oh, wow. And, wow, that's a big deal. <laughs> and I, it's just like some part of me is like, is this even news? Like, like, like how did this get through there? And then the interesting one is the... Um, on the clock, I went to the rest. They have like nine thousand customers. Yeah, well, right. What, and so yeah. these people have just been okay with CV, like um, CSV imports and typing data for the last six or seven years. Well, dozens and dozens and dozens. Like, like the time. Like my experience with APIs on QuickBooks, that everybody built a timesheet app. Like everybody was building one because a that was the demo app. Everybody saw the code for, right? And then B, it was one of those like. Um, easily attack problems. Like everybody has timesheet problems in small businesses and everybody attacks that. And so a lot of people, it made sense, right? The whole point of tracking time is to not have to type it into an, an accounting system. So I just thought it was inter- uh, it's surprising that that was an article. Yeah. Interesting. Right. Well, you know, a lot of people like, we have to remember that most businesses are really just solving point problems at, at this point. Yep. Right? The, the people who are actually doing integrations, I was just talking about this with somebody. Like how many businesses are on cloud? It's about 50% now. That's great. We've, re- we've reached mass adoption of cloud in general, but most businesses are still not integrating apps. I would put that at 10%. The rest, 90%, it's just, here's one app that does this. Yes, it's in the cloud, but I still have to manually take the information from that app, put it in this one. And that's exactly the situation. I think I had a conversation with somebody at T-Sheets once and it was, they were just pulling their hair out because they had this huge overlap if you draw a Venn diagram of T-Sheets customers and QuickBooks online customers that didn't use the integration. <laughs> <laughs> they, would, they would use every other way to move the data across. For whatever reason, they just would not use the integration. They just never turn the integration on. So yeah, I'm sure even even with the, when the technology exists, they don't use it. Well, and I always wonder if sometimes it's because like moving that data over is somebody's job and they're not interested in automating it. I've heard, you, see, you know what I mean? I've heard, like there's a person who types in the payroll. I mean, this is, I've heard, we've heard this from accounting firms and, right. you know, they, they struggle with their own internal in-house bookkeepers about using automated tools to help make data efficient. Yeah. Data entry why would you automate your own job if you're not sure if you'll have one after that? Right. That's why it's super important as a firm owner or a business owner to reassure your people that you're going to find other work for them to do. That's more rewarding. Otherwise, if they don't trust you, they're not going to help you. Uh, I'll let you jump in some articles. I do have a, an article about your great state of California, but I'll let you jump in some articles. So I've got one more app article before we get into other broader news. Yeah. Canopy tax. So listeners of the show may recall, and this those that are aware of the cloud tax space, which is kind of small, that Canopy was one of those bright stars that was growing really fast. And then this year, they ran into some trouble. We're not sure exactly what, but they had to lay off 100 people earlier this year, right after they'd built this beautiful office. And then they had to lay off another 70-something just recently, and the CEO stepped down. So something went wrong. They expanded too quickly. Yeah, and I think, I think if I remember the news before earlier in the year, they expected to have some tax product out on the market. 
um, and it never made it. They never got done. And everybody was really excited about this because there's not a lot in the way of new challenger tax products. We've got the old established guard, right? The Thomson Reuters, the CCHs that are moving their products to cloud. Like it's a lot of times it's a hybrid cloud. It's not the best. Like something built in the cloud, you know, with modern UI that's like QuickBooks or Zero. That's what everybody wants. Nobody has that yet. And Canopy was saying, we're going to build that for you. Well, that is no longer going to happen, at least in the short term. Our friend Clint Bowers, CPA in Dallas, received an email that he posted on Twitter from somebody at Canopy. Clint has been working with Canopy to onboard his clients for several months now. And he just received an email last night saying, quote, thank you so much for your patience. I have some updated information for you. At Canopy, we're on a continual mission to innovate and refine our solutions and how we deliver them. To that end, we recently made changes to our near-term product direction in an effort to heighten our focus on further enhancing our practice management product. Our mission remains the same, to develop a comprehensive software solution that enables you to effectively manage your work, seamlessly interact with your clients, and efficiently deliver your services. Our practice management product is the foundation of that mission. As part of these changes, our recently released tax prep product will no longer be supported for the 2019 tax year. The tax prep product will move to a private beta while we work to expand its functional breadth and depth before making it publicly available once more. I hope this is helpful to you. So Clint was just like like upset, to say the least, because he spent a lot of time onboarding clients and providing feedback, and now they're backing down from the tax prep product to work on their core product, which is a practice management solution. And I don't know, how do you, what do you think, David, being, being in the software, I, what do you think about how the way they... Well, it goes to what I just said a little while ago about if, if you try to build an AP solution and an AR solution at the same time, you probably would suck at both, yeah. right? And, and they... They have not, arguably, Canopy didn't even win practice management yet, right? They were reinventing practice management software, but they didn't win it yet. They were just still very new. turning the corner. A lot of hype. And then they just took on too much. Probably the development of this new product was probably making their existing product suffer. And they, it was probably a tough decision to kill this product to save the other mm-hmm. one. It's like those wild animals that to eat their own babies, you know, to the other babies survive, you know, it's one of those things. Unfortunately, a lot of goodwill lost in the uh, cloud accounting community, I imagine. And I just have to say that I don't think this was the best way to communicate it. No apology, just saying they're no longer going to support it for the 2019 tax year. I mean, it could have been a little more human, don't you think? Yeah, I think that's, uh, it's tricky. These are tough. All those things are are tough decisions that people have to make like this. And it's sad because like Canopy, like you said, was a rising star. And now it's, you know, now you wonder like, are they going to make it at all? Right. You know, are we going to six months down the road being like, that's the end of Canopy? (laughs) I hope not because tax needs to be disrupted. And it's just so hard that nobody's really done it yet. And Canopy was so promising. I think it still is. Maybe it can be turned around. So, so this is funny. It just, I, this just popped into my um, feed. <laughs> I'm, I'm talking about how Canopy is disrupting tax, right? Well, let's put this in perspective. Walters Kluwer just announced in October that they have added a client collaboration module to their CCH access cloud-based tax prep product. So literally like the thing that Canopy does, right? That has been, they've like Walters Kluwer just, finally added it. So so obviously drama from Canopy this week. Uh, there's two other drama things that happened this week. So I'll, I'll read the headline um, from Insightful Accountant. Joe takes scaling new heights online 2019 offline. Oh God. How did we, how did it take so long for us to get to this? <laughs> uh, <laughs> that I don't know. So I, I, I could read the news. I think you experienced the news as a vendor. Yes. Um, yeah. It's interesting. So yeah. For our listeners who don't know what scaling new heights online is, Right. This is not the regular Scaling New Heights conference. This is the online conference, which is it in its second year? This is the first year I've had anything to do with it. No, this. it's it, it's been it, it, I, it's been around at least four or five, maybe six years. It's been around oh, for okay. a long time, um, and then it's uh, it's interesting. I've, I've experienced it as an attendee once, and I experienced it as a uh, somebody who did a talk once, mm-hmm. right? And everybody who attends, they can do CPE credit, and it's. It's almost like being a, you have a little avatar, you know, it kind of feels like like 1990s kind of 
cool. You're like, you're walking around and you can click on things and you go into a room to attend a conference, uh, a conference, a, uh, a session and you get your CP credit. And my understanding, it's, it's always been decently attended. Um, you know, he might have a thousand people at his in-person conference and he might have 2000, maybe 3000 at his online one. Now I don't think all people attend right. at the same time, but throughout the period of a lot of times it's like two days, right? It, it's happened mm-hmm. before. So historically this has existed and it's a good way for people to get CP credit and they can pop in and out of sessions. And, and there's even an expo hall and sponsors are there and that type of thing. But apparently there was, um, technical issues. This yes. Week. Yeah. It was supposed to happen on Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. And it starts at 8 a.m. Eastern time. So <laughs> that's like 5 a.m. my time. So uh, I, I woke up and I got into my email and I had an email saying that they were having some technical difficulties that had been resolved. And then I was curious. So I decided to go and log in, which I had never done before. And then my password wouldn't work. So I had to do a reset. And then I ended up in some sort of WordPress backend system. Uh, and I had to go back to the URL and find that again and try to get in. Finally, I got in. And then I tried to go to like sessions and they wouldn't load. And I tried to walk around the expo hall and I guess the whole thing crashed at some point and nobody could, could use it. And they had to cancel the whole thing. Yeah. And so he's, I know he sent on, there's an email sent out to everybody about how it's a little bit of a spin, I think. It was called a strategic pivot. Yeah. Can you read that? Do you have the email open? Do you have the subject line? I, I don't have the email. Open. I do not have the subject line of that email. <laughs> I, I'm going to find it for um, you because I did think this was very much a savvy marketing move here. Uh, let's see. And, and, while, and while, you're, while you're searching for that, it, it really reminded me of like when, when uh, the Water Group, when there was, they had the bankruptcy. Yes. Uh, almost 18 years, 18, 18, 18 months ago, prior to Scaling New Heights. 2018, the the event. There's bankruptcy, but it, everything got reframed and respun as the venue move. And so when I saw this, I saw this. Somebody forwarded me the email, and I saw that, and it's a strategic pivot. I'm like, strategic <laughs> pivot? Like the whole thing crashed? Like it just yeah. kind of? I found that a little bit ironic, right? That that it, it just being spun as a as a strategic move. Yeah, and that's the headline of the email. That's the subject line: strategic pivot dash scaling new heights online. And then in the email, the headline is finding a different way to bring you the value. Due to unforeseen technical difficulties that we were not able to fully resolve, we unfortunately need to find a different approach to deliver the training we promised you as registrants of SNH online. So they just shut it down immediately. Now, I have to say, as a vendor, I still have not received any communication. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I was inquiring uh, on Tuesday as to, you know, hey, what's what's going on? We haven't got anyone chatting with us in the in the conference, we've set aside our one of our sales guys to you know chat with people uh, uh, for two days, <laughs> like you know, um, and so uh, no communication from on the vendor side at all uh, about this. And I I, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I think some you know vendors paid uh, to to do this, and there were like twenty something. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously not solved yet. It's just it's interesting that that email came out and felt very markety. Well, when <laughs> the, it, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, you got to do whatever you can to save the save it. But um, I think they're going to re they're rescheduling it for for December. And maybe it's it's a technical thing, like like it's a whole like the 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 platform that's being used needs to be replaced or yeah. you know, needs to move to a different platform. And, and, you know, and maybe it has to be really grassroots and it's all on a zoom. I don't know. Well, that's what they're going to do. So apparently they're doing six days in December and it's just going to be a long go-to webinar. And people pop in and out to the sessions they want when they want to be in that session. That's Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and get rid of all like the avatars and the robots and the walking around and all that other kind well, of it did, stuff. It, it did feel a little bit like mist. You know, you ever play that game? On your computer, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah it was like walking around in, in mist. It was kind of it was making me nostalgic. Nostalgic for that. Uh, so there's some other drama. Um, I don't know if you saw this. Uh, there was there's a petition online that was created, uh, and the title of the position, uh, petition is "Stop Intuit from Stealing Work from." Bookkeepers. I did see that. How many signatures does it have now, though? I don't think it has 300 yet. So. <laughs> So, so in the grand scheme of things, right, there's what, uh, 130, 140,000 pro advisors, maybe 150,000 QuickBooks pro advisors. I don't know how many are bookkeepers versus accountants, et cetera, but only 300 have signed it, right? And in versus, we just talked about into its numbers, it's a $10 billion opportunity here, right? Like this is going to happen. And my thing is you can put me on, put this on my gravestone, right? Every accounting platform is going to offer the sim- similar service, like put it on my gravestone, like 
every accounting platform will offer a similar service. So the, it's not so much they're stealing, like everybody's trying to steal your clients, right? It's And, and I would argue into it's not trying to steal your clients. And admittedly, like one of the gripes they have in there is, and we talked about this on the show in the past, Intuit was not going to market QuickBooks Live bookkeeping to the clients of the existing yeah, provider. But they keep doing it accidentally. Right? Yeah, it's, it's either a bug in the code and then... I, I still question that. Like, it probably is a bug in the code, but I question like this should be extra triple check uh, yeah. tested because of the sensitivity, yeah. right? Everybody's very, very sensitive about this, you know. Um, and and I also feel like there's like a if you take the bell curve of pro advisors, right? You got some on one end who are like they're they've they're uh, in a niche, they're value billing, their business model isn't really threatened by QB Live. And then you have people on the other end who are starting the practice, they don't even really have a practice yet and they're just looking for bookkeeping yeah. work, right? And then those people, you've seen them on the Facebook groups, like how do I get clients? Right, like right. how do I create a process right. for onboarding a client? And so those people are gonna be happy, but I think there's people that are maybe in the middle there that haven't, they haven't taken that next step to the future of like really building out the practice differently and, and improving the practice. So I could see where this is definitely a threat. It's just, I'm not sure a petition is going to do Oh, no, absolutely it. not. And it's just not going to get enough eyeballs. Not enough people are going to support it because this is going to happen. And it's going to happen before anyone wakes up. Like the vast majority of people, like you said, are not aware of it, right? The vast majority of bookkeepers. There's what, like how many millions of accountants in this country or there's, there's like between a million and two million bookkeepers, <laughs> alone and and how many of them you know are aware of quickbooks live not like tiny little fraction so only the ones that listen to yeah, the podcast right apparently. so you know you guys oh, are on the cutting place. edge and i don't think uh those folks are going to be replaced by a quickbooks live type thing it's it's you know it's that person who's billing uh 20 bucks an hour 10 out of 10 hours a week for some small business that they do on the side right like or maybe less. A lot of people un- charge even less, you know, $15 an hour, $10 an hour. Yeah. And those people are going to get a raise from this. Right. They'll, know, they'll, they'll want, they want to go work for QuickBooks Live because they'll make more money. We talked about before your uh, California and, and your budget problems and your ERP problems and your building the bridge don't, don't associate me directly with California's budget problems. I just live here, man. <laughs> okay. Well, I think California has a plan on how to, to fix all of this. Oh, really? There was an article in accounting today. I don't believe. Okay, tell me what. And the title of the article is "Back Taxes for Online Sales." I'll just read this out loud so you hear it very clearly. Their plan. Well, don't read it to yourself because. <laughs> right, right. Okay. Despite signing onto a U.S. Supreme Court uh, amicus brief stating otherwise, California is now retroactively seeking sales tax from out-of-state online merchants going back as far as 2012. The move is seen as a bellwether as other states are watching to see how California fares. Wow. That's a dick move. Uh, but, you know, Californians won't get upset because they're not going after us, right? They're going after people in other states selling into California. And we got a lot of people. So, it's a lot of money. So, that's, uh, yeah. yeah. I don't know if you want to speak to that or not. And Yeah. I mean, okay. I, don't, I don't know. It's like... It's just going to create huge problems for small businesses. It's not very business friendly. You know, California needs to actually solve its structural issues. I just wish that in California, we'd fix the housing crisis. The housing is so expensive because we don't build enough houses. If we just built more houses, things would be, we, we, <laughs> it would be cheaper. It's like that, it's oh, that boy. basic. All it's right. that simple. But instead, I, I'm driving my car on the street and I see a sign on the back of a bus that says, you know, some not for profit or, or no, it was some like, local initiative raised money to build 6,000 um, housing units, right? I'm like, we're in a city of what? <laughs> How many millions of people? 20 million. Yeah, it's insane, yeah. right? Uh, I don't even know. It could be 20 million. It's not that many, but uh, or the region, right? And 6,000 units, like it's not going to do it. So anyway, don't get me, I'm going to rant if I go on any longer. Uh, but, but I do have something else about sales tax. So- What's that? Apparently- Grubhub has been tattling on its competition. The food delivery company Grubhub said it collected hundreds of millions in taxes for delivery and service fees in dozens of states since at least 2011. But Recode, a Vox publication, uh, published an article finding that in some of those same states, their rivals in the delivery space that include DoorDash, Postmates, and Uber Eats don't appear to be collecting a cent 
of taxes. And that discrepancy puts those rivals in a precarious position if regulators take no- notice and object. So basically, DoorDash, Postmates, Uber Eats, because they're not collecting these taxes, they sh- probably should be given that like, why would Grubhub do it if they didn't have to? Yeah, because Grubhub's going to be the outlier. Somebody's going to investigate why are they the outlier? And they're like, oh, because they're doing it right. And then they're going to go after everybody else. And Grubhub has thus been the leader up until recently. And DoorDash just, I guess, surpassed them uh, recently. But you know, Grubhub's been collecting the tax. Their comp- competition isn't. I think they basically those apps, those companies could be on the hook for lots of money. And it could actually affect the restaurants too. The, the tax authorities could come after those restaurants who are not collecting the sales tax or the delivery tax or whatever taxes are applicable because they're relying on the app to do it. Something to watch out for, actually, if you have clients who are in the uh, food service space or if they're using apps, are they using ones that collect the correct tax and remit it? And if not, they might be in trouble. Yeah, that'll, that'll be the next grab by. I mean, it, once they get all the online retail sales, they'll be going after the food. Well, and it's just like uh, in New Jersey is going after Uber right now for all sorts of payroll taxes and whatnot. $650 million in unemployment and disability insurance taxes uh, because they allegedly misclassified their workforce as independent contractors instead of employees. So as these app-based businesses in this you know, app economy get bigger and bigger and bigger, they become bigger targets for governments and tax authorities to extract money from them for not being completely compliant. The wheels of the bus keep going. Uh, I don't have much, uh, no other news this week that's probably worth talking about or that, that fits in. What about you? Let's end on a positive note. How about that? Sound good? Okay. You know, I love these surveys from CPA Trendlines. They do good surveys, good data. I spotted one of their charts called Workflow Security, the Biggest Tech Challenges. Apparently, from 2017 to 2019, some things have become more challenging and some things have become less challenging for CPA firms. The good news is that workflow and efficiency has become less challenging with 20.6% of respondents saying that's their biggest challenge. I I can't actually see what it was uh, because the numbers aren't here on the chart. But it was it was higher in 2018 and 2017. Security is also less of a challenge than it was in 2017. What has gone up? Getting your clients on board, working with the firm in a more digital way, that's now gone up. And creating and implementing an effective technology strategy has also gone up since uh, 2017. I guess that's sort of a mixed bag. So I'm just reframing my brain. So on one hand, internally, workflows are getting better at firms. But actually trying to be more efficient and working with your clients in more efficient ways, yeah, that's still a struggle. Yeah, but I think it's a good thing because uh, it means, first of all, firms are feeling more confident about security. They're feeling more confident about their workflow and efficiency in-house. And now they're turning externally and saying, hey, let's let's be more efficient with our clients. Let's get them working more uh, efficiently with us in a digital way. And I think that then leads to this technology strategy that you need. So. I think it's 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 progress. That's all yeah. we can ask for. It's progress. And that is it for this week. As always, you can find me online. I'm at Blake T. Oliver on Twitter, and I will be at the Digital CPA Conference in Seattle from December 9th to 11th with Giraffe. So come see us at the Giraffe booth at DCPA if you'll be there. And how about you, David? I'm at David Leary. Very easy to find on Twitter. You can find the Cloud Accounting Podcast now on all the socials. And you want to make sure you hit the show notes and get the link to our merch store because I think Mm -hmm. Black Friday is next week. And when you're sitting around digesting your turkey, you could order (laughs) yourself your family members a Cloud Accounting Podcast shirt put under the Christmas tree. And if you leave us a review, we will read it on the air. Great talking to you, David. See you next week. All right. See you next week. Bye. Bye.